Today I'm speaking with Swatia Darkar, President and CEO of Children's Institute, and Sue Hildick, President of Chalkboard Project, about Senate Bill 182 in the Oregon State Legislature. SB 182 was drafted based on recommendations from the Governor's Council on Educator Advancement and aims to strengthen the support Oregon's educators receive throughout their career to be effective. The bill also recognizes the need to align instructional practices, especially between preschool and K-12. It recognizes the distinct needs of early childhood educators and calls for expanded access to continuing education for all educators working in a diverse range of settings. Swati and Sue, it's great to be speaking with you today. Great to be here. Really nice to be here. Sue, could you give some background on the development of the bill? So the bill is an exciting development for us in this state. It really is about elevating the role of the teacher in the classroom and the leader in the school um, as we look at how to transform our education system. And we have been delighted that this governor has taken a strong stand about thinking through how that work plays out in the field and at the school district level. And she did that by convening a council on educator advancement, which brought practitioners to the table in a very deep way to talk about their career, their their field, their needs in professional development, their uh, opportunities for leadership. And, and, and that group, which met over a six-month period, came forward with a set of recommendations that are really contained in Senate Bill 182. Um, and it, it, it both elevates the investment we're making in this state in educators, and it also better organizes how those dollars are going to be spent, um, which we think both pieces are really critical. As an extension of your work on systems change, transformation, and sustainability, how would this investment impact the K-12 workforce? Well, one of the things that's exciting about the concepts that came forward from the council and that are included in this bill is the fact that it puts the dollars much closer to the educators in the field and in their districts and gives them much deeper voice in how those dollars get spent, particularly if you look at professional development. It's a good example because right now we're delivering a lot of um, one-subject professional development across an entire school district for, for everybody. and We haven't been able to get to the place where professional development is really customized to an individual teacher's needs. We think that this this bill is going to allow for more of that to happen and spread and really give educators the lead voice in um, how how their professional development occurs, which, which we hope is job embedded and on a regular basis and with time for reflection and happening all the time. Um, and and this, this bill is going to provide, I think, a pathway for teachers to really evolve that process. Children's Institute recently hosted Ruby Takanishi for a panel discussion about her new book, First Things First, Creating the New American Primary School, which really leaves us with the work of reimagining early education and deepening the connection and intersection between early childhood and the early grades. Swati, what are some of the key takeaways from that panel and Takanishi's new book? How can we best understand how early learning impacts success in elementary school and later educational outcomes? Well, first, I just want to say I think it's an exciting point in time in Oregon for us to be thinking about these intersecting points and connections between early education and K-12 and, you know, the chance to sit here and talk with Sue about, you know, how the early education strategies can support what uh, Chalkboard and other partners are doing to advance um, the bill for more 
supports for educators is just it's a new point in time I feel so that's exciting and I think um, Ruby Takanishi's book really undergirds support for a strategy that looks at aligned and integrated professional development um, looking at preschool as part of the education continuum and we know that if we have siloed programs and preschools are not seeing that connection with educators across, particularly kindergarten through third, we don't see those gains sustained from preschool into the early elementary grades. And so how to build those relationships and how to build those connecting points when the fields are so very different is a challenge right now. And I think one of the sort of bright spots is the Kindergarten Partnership and Innovation Fund, which is helping some communities to build that cross-sector learning. And that's really what we've got to start thinking about, are those connecting points. That was my next question for both of you, just thinking about what it means to build stronger connections between preschool and K-12. So as that evolves in the state, and maybe there are other examples from around the country that we could think about, but as that evolves in Oregon, uh, what does that really mean? I don't know, Sue, maybe you have some comments on that as well. But uh, how do we think about connecting? I mean, K-12 really is more clearly defined as a system, early education less so. So I hesitate to use the word system. But if we think about early education system in the K-12 and building those connections, what does that mean? Well, I think it's a huge gulf that we're trying to uh, <laughs> bridge and figure out how we um, look at a system. There isn't, as you point out a system yet. But what we see happening that gives us a lot of hope and energy is to see the number of K-12 leaders, to see leaders, uh, superintendents, principals, who know that for them to deliver improved educational outcomes, that they need to better integrate with early learning. And so providing those supports for those leaders has got to be a key strategy because early childhood really looks at a practice focus on whole child development and engaging families. And that's a very different philosophy traditionally than K-12. It's almost like we're at a unique moment in time where we are building anew. And if we could possibly put our traditional structures aside and build that collaboratively with our practitioners in the field, maybe through some of the mechanisms that 182 provides, I'm, I think we're going to be in our best position. If we if we try to stick with our traditional thinking, I struggle that we're just trying to add on or attach. But really what we need to do, I think, is step back and look at the early learning space and maybe the K three, K to three, K to six space, and how that becomes really seamless. And what does that look like from the practitioner lens? I think that's the, the challenge and opportunity for us. And what is exciting about 182 is it puts the two pieces together in the same bucket in a way that we haven't seen before. It's a really intentional melding of the two from our policymakers and from the council leaders. And now we have the opportunity, I think, to let practitioners help inform us as to how that actually builds out. There are differences in the spaces of K-12 and early learning, but there are also some really enduring, important things that are the same, which is we want to support educators to stay in the field and to have that continuity which and that stability is so important for children, for students. And so I think the opportunity in 182 is to provide that effective support for teachers so that they will stay in the field and they can have that kind of needed support for continuous quality improvement that really meets 
educators where they are. And I think we've really struggled in Oregon to pro- make sure that we have adequate mentoring, that we have adequate coaching. And I think this has the promise of thinking about that level of support over time. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it's going to encourage us to think about that systemically. So right now we've got pockets of programs in all those areas you've just mentioned, and we know they're best practices. But what we need to do is 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 thread them into strategies that you know, full districts are embracing all those pieces. And that's, that's been maybe a luxury. We haven't quite gotten there. And so this, this, I think, will give us the opportunity to do that. Swati, if we step back into the early learning space and think about what's hap- been happening over the past decade, really, maybe longer than that, and think about where we're headed in terms of preschool for all of the kids who need it in the state of Oregon, What's what's the plan for Oregon? Where are we headed? So we've made some good strides um, in serving more kids, but we've still, quite frankly, got a long way to go in Oregon. Um, you know, some states are looking at universal preschool. Children's Institute has really been focusing on uh, low-income children, and even then we've got, you know, 30,000 kids who still are not getting preschool. And so we're excited that the governor considers high-quality preschool a priority. And what we really need to think about is how do you build preschool into the education continuum? We've got some important pieces of it. You've got Head Start, Serving Kids in Poverty. You've got Preschool Promise, which is a, a new opportunity to serve kids in a mixed delivery system in a variety of places childcare, school districts, Head Start. For us to really think about a system, we're going to have to look at how those pieces are integrated and really look at a 10-year plan of how we're going to build towards reaching more kids over time. And to do so in which those programs are connected to their K-12 partners. I I think it's an important point to remember some of the qualifications around Head Start and Preschool Promise. Head Start typically serving kids at 100% of the federal poverty level, preschool promise 200% or below. And we know there are other districts that are trying to fund preschool and do things to get early education in place for their students. We also know that our education systems chronically struggle with how to address inequality in education. So my question is, can professional learning investments help alleviate that? And is there is there that opportunity with, with 182? Uh, we think so. And in the immediate space would be investments in culturally responsive and sustaining practice, which is one of the buckets included under 182. So there would be investment across the state in helping educators grow those practices. I think even maybe more importantly is how we address it upstream, which is in the training of educators and the preparation um, that they that they go through to, before they have their own classrooms and schools. And uh, through Teach Oregon work and, and other examples there, we're really working on how to grow skill sets and deepen instructional practices around equity. And so I think that if we can make that um, universal in the 18 preparation programs that Oregon currently has for teachers, that would be a a sizable shift in the landscape and and really help in this space. So um, 182 is going to provide some funding for for both of those pieces. In in early learning, uh, culturally responsive and linguistically responsive 
approaches are absolutely fundamentally core to quality. And one of the opportunities is the current early educator workforce is much more diverse, both culturally and linguistically, than the K-12 workforce. The challenge is a lot of those educators have not had access to degree programs that really meet their needs, have not had the funding and supports for kind of mentor coaches and so forth. And a a couple of those pieces are in 182, which we're excited about. But we think it's really critical to figure out uh, how to create those pathways and so that the teachers are really reflecting the kids that they serve. And nationally, I don't think we have a lot of good examples of that, quite frankly. So I'm really... Uh, I think Oregon needs to to have hold that value strongly as we think about building uh, an aligned and integrated workforce as we see our student population demographics changing so dramatically to support better outcomes. I think Ruby Takanishi explored some of that in her new book. She ha- she has a lot of ideas in terms of rethinking what we mean by systems and workforce integration and de- professional development, but. If you could go a little bit further into the idea of the professionalization of an early learning workforce, and it, part of that is because I think it's a, a subset of our education workforce that often struggles with recognition for their role in how they shape young minds. Early educators have been underpaid so dramatically for such a long time. I mean, a lot of our educators are living in you know low-income poverty reality. And I think what we know is that that quality teacher-student interaction is sort of the core and heart of what leads to improved outcomes. And so if we're not supporting educators to really have their professional development supports, um, we know we're not going to get there over time. The question is, how do you build that system and what does it look like? And what we're learning, not surprisingly, is it's got to be relationship-based So even if we look at online opportunities so that particularly thinking of rural educators and people who can't afford to leave their job during the day, the current workforce. So we've got to think about innovation in terms of technology, but also relational pieces to help people navigate the system. Because the truth of the matter is navigating higher ed and figuring out how you get your credits to align and really lead to degrees and certificates has been pretty unclear and not a totally supported piece of the education continuum. And so we're really eager to look at the kind of partnerships with both four-year institutions, community colleges, and what community-based organizations bring to the conversation in terms of the training that they're offering. What is the potential built into the continued investments in Oregon's teaching workforce. How could the bill help forge a new path forward for educators in the state? I I think the potential is enormous because we know that the teacher in the classroom has the most impact on what a child learns every day, followed by the leader in the school. And it's it's taken some years to, to help Oregon plant the flag with its very limited investment dollars around the profession as the point of leverage and impact. And that has now happened. And this bill provides a better way to organize how we spend those funds. And it 
again, creates, in my view, sort of a covenant with educators. They are being invited to the table to express how those dollars should be spent to best support their professional development, which is really about the improvement of instructional practices that children will receive every day. So in our work, there's no, there's no more important place to put the focus. And it's wonderful now to feel like we're in partnership with the state on really getting those dollars as close to the ground as possible so that educators can direct them. You have thoughts on that, Swati? I think it's just the opportunity, really, to – you think about why teachers go into the profession to begin with and the the barriers that we've put in their way to really achieve and accomplish what they want with children. And I think it's really about meeting educators' needs and inviting them in to the conversation around solutions and how they can deliver their most effective practices. And I think we often haven't had a chance to do that. I think, you know, what Chalkboard has been doing through a number of strategies um, and now in partnership around this bill does open the door for us to put educators sort of at the heart of yeah. the conversation. You know, I'm so glad you you, you brought up barriers, even though we, we try not to talk about them. That You know, that's a huge issue here, and it's time. It is teachers having the time to to think about and, and structure their professional learning, and we don't create space for that. And a lot of the programs that are in the existing state investments um, get at them sort of as solutions. And what we're trying to do is reverse that process and get uh, practitioners to the table um, with time to think about how, how they would approach spending those dollars. So sometimes that's as simple as buying substitute time in their districts so that they can come out of their classrooms every once in a while and collaborate and dream and think, and then we can move some of those solutions on the policy side. And that's been a, a core component of Chalkboard's work. I think it's similar for the Children's Institute. We're hoping that this step in 182 is putting the state as a partner now in that kind of uh, transformation conversation. I think one of the exciting things is we sort of imagine, like, what do we want professional supports to look like and imagine schools to see what happens when you have the professional learning communities that include different grades meeting together around you know, looking at the same data, making decisions together and understanding like what's a preschool teacher's job? What's a second grade teacher's job? And I have to say that's really inspiring to see that where the educators have the time, they can come together, they can plan, and then they can go off to their classrooms and do their best work. And so, you know, I think the hopes for this bill is to really provide the care supports and strategies that we frankly know have known for a long time really deliver the outcomes we need for our kids. In terms of what the skeptics might say, this is additional money that we're putting into the education system and we have no guarantee that it's going to be effective or that the extra dollars will be useful. What would you say to the skeptic? That's the world in which we live. I would say that there's probably no better investment than these investments in the profession and that many of these programs, and they exist in their current form, which which may change in 182, they're heavily researched. They're heavily evaluated. We know very clearly the impacts of investing in the workforce on the um, outcomes that children experience. So as we were sort of building this um, movement over the last few years, we only could do it with evidence of impact. And so we know that mentoring 
first and second year teachers with an experienced trained mentor is a best practice that moves the bar for kids. We know that. We know that collaboration time in school districts with what I just described, you know, where teachers are able to interact with each other moves the bar for kids. So we will be strong, a strong voice for the fact that these are probably your most tested investments when you're looking at innovation dollars. The whole area of supporting uh, professional development for the early childhood field is frankly newer and emerging. I mean, for most child care providers or educators in preschool, I mean, the notion of even having a substitute or any backup or planned time is often non-existent. And so I think it's a chance to bring the field to the table around this conversation, knowing that the same pieces are effective. Uh, for early educators, but we need to think a little differently around the delivery mechanism for this so that we allow kids to be in diverse settings. And, you know, it's not going to work to have schools wholly deliver early childhood services. So we're going to need to think about strategies that support people in different settings. If you could both answer this question, what recommendations do you have for moving forward And what does professional learning look like without the passage of SB 182? Well, it's going to be very important moving forward that the Council on Educator Advancement continue to be um, guiding a lot of this work and how those investments get spent. Um, Having practitioner voice leading this work is, is critical. I think professional learning would look very, very different in every one of our 197 school districts. You know, a lot of our professional learning decisions are made at the district level. And what I'm hoping 182 is going to do is open up some of that thinking and create opportunities for um, deeper professional learning and um, deeper practitioner voice in how those uh, dollars get spent because the state is putting the emphasis on it with its limited transformation dollars. I think we have some wonderful professional development going on, but again, it's it seems like it's largely episodic and it's not embedded and systemic. And that's that's the goal here, is that every teacher has a robust support system underneath them. Systemic uh, approaches is absolutely the point at which we are at as a state. You know, the sort of here, the episodic little pieces in different parts of the state is not going to move the dial for improving statewide graduation rates. And so I think we've got to think about bridge building. The bill gives us a framework in which to work from, but still the reality is going to be on the ground and building those connections and relationships and the trust so that educators can do this work. Because I, you know, I think the reality is, at least from an early learning standpoint, a lot of times those programs don't even really have a connection to their K-12 counterparts. And so the beginning steps really start with getting to know who each other is, looking at a community of practice and how you bring some of those philosophies together and that we don't lose um, engaging families in the conversation. So I guess I look at it as coming both from the state level to look at systems and those governance pieces, and we're happy the Early Learning Division is a part of this bill, but also to think about that sort of real ground-up community relationship building to look at supporting kids and families around this work. Sue and Swati, it's great to speak with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
This is Rafael Otto bringing you the Early Link Podcast. Children's Institute is working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Learn more at childinst.org.